0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a good show coming in this next hour. We're going to be talking first with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services about the cattle market. Folks, we continue to see green on the screen here in the cattle trade. Excited to hear where cash trade might end up this week. Then in segment two, we're going to get into policy. Our friend Jackie Fatka of AgriPulse will join us. The Senate Ag Committee hearings are getting underway. Well, what's under discussion jackie's going to fill us in before segment three we're going to have our friend arlen Suterin, chief commodities economist from stonex on the program we'll review some of those numbers that came out on wednesday with the world agricultural supply and demand estimates and also take a look at what he's expecting to come out of the ground here in south america let's jump right into it then with our friend dennis smith of archer financial services dennis thanks for joining us today
2: yeah thank you good morning
0: well sir i want to start with this question to you cash cattle trade on this week have we had any quite yet at least enough to establish a test of the market
2: well not a not a widespread test it's been higher but scattered light volume and that's because the packers are putting it off they're fighting the market they don't want to pay up they don't want to see the cash market get away from them uh they want to of course uh keep margins as profitable as possible. But the important thing is to focus that margins are still profitable. They've always been profitable. And that gives them the incentive to kill as many cattle as possible. Kills are coming down. Why? Because the available cattle supplies are coming down. Uh, I'm expecting a 159. Well, we have traded 159, Mike, and in the In the 250 area in the dress beef, but it looks like to me it'll be a 254 dress market and uh, possibly 160 to 161 in the cash steer market when it all kind of breaks loose later today.
0: Right, probably pretty late in the day on Friday, Dennis. As you mentioned, those packers holding back. Could you give our listeners a recap last week cash trade? The bulk of it, 156, 157 on a live basis.
2: Yeah, that that would be accurate, uh, and and that would be in the Southern Plains uh, as far as uh, the 156, 157, correct.
0: All right, Dennis. Well, as we take a look at the futures board, we've continued to see strong buying. We've got a number of contracts now north of 160 here on the live. What's the futures action going to be over this next week? Are we going to not see a whole lot of action until that cash trade starts to move at a higher rate?
2: Well, the market uh, kind of refuses to to really anticipate and build a huge premium, uh, and that's kind of not how it's been in past. we have seen uh, in the past the futures market willing to to trade, uh, you know, either actual premium decay or a substantial discount decay, depending upon the 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 outlook, whether it be bullish or bearish. This market this day and age it's just not willing to 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 factor in it's not willing to build a big premium so it's a literally cash driven market cash is going to have to drag it higher and i assume that it will be the case all spring all summer into fall it'll be led by the cash market <laughs>
0: Cash talks, that's for sure. We'll see it on the live cattle side. Dennis, we're seeing it uh, from my perspective here on the feeder cattle side. This cash index continues to climb. A lot of strength out there for feeder cattle. Where do you see this market going uh, in the short term here over the next six, eight weeks?
2: I, I would say March feeders. If you look at the chart, there's a massive double top on the March feeder chart at around 188 uh, 75 I believe, is the exact price. Uh, we need to take that out, obviously, take out the double top. And, uh, Mike, it's my opinion you could see March feeders, uh, scoot as high as $200. That's how tight this supply situation is going to become. And of course, a big part of that would be, uh, would be,
0: uh, dependent
2: upon a lower corn market. And, uh, so that remains to be seen.
0: It does, Dennis. But even with the corn market where it is today, we've got August, September, October, November, and Jan of 24, all strongly north of 200. Do you have any risk management advice for folks looking out here to feeders that are that highly valued later in this year? Yeah,
2: we're working on some put options, or I should say put spread uh, option strategies. And we're, we're sort of focused on the August right now, trying to trying to lock in some prices for for all summer. Uh, They are put options, or I should say put spread options, Mike, which is uh, designed to to establish a price floor and leave the upside open. I'm just not interested in capping off the potential gains for the cow-calf guy. Uh, At the other end of the spectrum, for guys that will be in the market uh, forced to buy replacement feeders, Uh, between now and the end of summer, you have to uh, establish some sort of a bullish strategy to, to protect one in the event that these prices do explode higher.
0: Dennis, looking at the cattle inventory report, looking at the recent cattle on feed numbers, I mean, it definitely seems like we could be down here at the bottom end of this cattle cycle. Is the industry just watching for moisture over the plains to see if we are going to stop the liquidation here in this coming year?
2: Yeah, that'll be the important, one of the main factors to watch. What what kind of a growing season will we have in the Corn Belt? And there is a, a pretty nice um, a soil recharge uh, that appears to be taking place this winter. Everything is really improved dramatically east of the Mississippi. We still certainly have some dry spots in the key Corn Belt areas, especially Nebraska, South Dakota. Uh, But, of course, uh, the Great Plains and and grass pasture will be critically important. Uh, At the moment, Mike, in my opinion, the the incentives to to stop the cow kill are are just simply not there. Corn prices remain stubbornly elevated. Uh, Looked like the corn market was ready to fail yesterday. Here we are today right back up in corn values. Really frustrating for the livestock producer. Uh, but, uh, the, all indications are that the cow kill remains elevated. The coal remains in place.
0: Dennis, before we let you go back on the live cattle side of the ledger, you mentioned numbers are coming down in feedlots, this high value of corn. I've got to imagine carcass weights are continuing their, their slide. Does the data back that up?
2: Yeah, the data does back that up. In fact, the, uh, came out yesterday. Uh, the actual slaughter report, which is uh, two weeks back, showed that uh, the dressed steer weights dropped five pounds from the previous week, and they are now running 18 pounds below a year ago. That's almost like reducing production another 2% sh- simply because of light weights alone. Uh, so, yeah, the data definitely drops uh, or confirms the idea that cattle weights are, are trending downward.
0: As long as that consumer gets out there, continues buying that high quality beef, the outlook looks fairly bright here. Folks, we've been speaking with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. And Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. Jackie Fatka of AgriPoles will join us here in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA. Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association, had the chance back in
3: December to travel over to Europe. Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics came up was the, the methane tax emission on cattle, and then The reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States. But we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C.
0: This Monthly Grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind here on AOA.
1: What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours, it's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today.
5: Brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson
0: welcome back folks you know after about a week delay here from the early part of december until about a week and a half ago congress was kind of slow they were out uh, getting things squared away lining up their new speaker getting everything put together but now legislation is happening fast and furious in washington dc and i figured it was time for an update joining us for this next segment is our friend jackie fatka she's an associate editor over at agripulse covering the intersection of politics and agriculture jackie thanks so much for joining us today
6: Always a pleasure, Mike.
0: I wanted to kick things off because we do have these farm bill negotiations getting started. Jackie, I'm curious about what's developed in this past week on the House side. I understand hearing number one is on the books.
6: Yes. So actually, this week was just some of the uh, introduction of all the new House members, which there are um, several new House Democrats who were on the committee. The the Democrat side always has a little bit of a harder time of of deciding which members want to be on the committee, uh, and and so they they actually took a little while to to name the final few, but we do have all of those members now uh, named to the committee. They introduced them all and kind of the organizational part of it, and, and a. a agreed on the rules. Um, The House Ag Committee will be out at the World Ag Expo next week and doing a field hearing there. And then they'll probably do one of their first in-person hearings on Capitol Hill here in another couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of education on the House side. I think on the House Farm Bill, definitely. Uh, There was a letter this week from five Republicans looking to add work requirements to to SNAP, which actually, you know, Thompson has a, G.T. Thompson, who is the House Ag Committee Chair, has a unique perspective. You know, actually he, uh, when he was younger, his family actually used WIC, which is for the women, infant, and children. So his family has participated in this support system when they needed it. And so I think, his his response to whether um republicans would would be able to to add very strict requirements right you know there's there's a there's a place to make sure that that it encourages work but not as a a negative restriction. And and his response was, if they wanted to be part of that discussion, then they should have asked to be on the committee. And so, you know, nutrition is going to be a huge part. It's always a huge part of the farm bill discussion. 86% of the farm bill is spent on nutrition. So it's it's obviously a very important partnership between the, the farm farm bill needs of the nutrition side of it, as well as the commodity and and farmer producer side of it.
0: All right. So we've got those lines in the sand being drawn in the house side. They're getting their introductions out of the way. That's always a good piece of business. But as you mentioned, Jackie, that nutrition program interest is developing. And I understand the Senate Ag Committee is going to be discussing nutrition programs. Is it next week? That's going to be on the docket?
6: Yeah, next Thursday, they're going to have a farm bill hearing on the nutrition programs. Uh, yesterday, they had one on the commodity and crop insurance and credit titles. So the the Senate side has been taking, uh, you know, a very... Uh, scheduled approach to to the different titles of the Farm Bill. They also did one on trade a couple of weeks ago, too. And then they'll have one at the start of March on conservation and forestry programs. You know, remember, in the Senate, you have to have a 60 vote margin to get it out of the Senate, usually, right? And so they're going to definitely have a more uh, balanced approach to how they they look at the farm bill and any changes they might do but you know in the house you're going to have to have a similar approach because you only have five extra republicans and it's hard to get everybody on board with with the farm bill including republicans and so you're going to have to have a bipartisan bill on both sides I think to really get this across the finish line so a lot of work right now hearing from stakeholders you know a lot of these senate hearings are from USDA staff to hear what's working what needs to be changed you know what they want to do obviously yesterday crop insurance so important to a lot of farmers all over there's there's calls to to make sure that we extend some of that coverage of crop insurance to specialty crops, organic producers. So, you know, how that fits in the whole debate. You know, yesterday, too, I listened in on some of the Farm Bill priorities from the organic industry. You know, they're continuing to grow, and so making sure that they have crop insurance to to meet their needs as well. So all kinds of those initial groundwork discussions going on right now in the Farm Bill.
0: They certainly are. We'll be watching for those going down the line, Jackie. On that nutrition title, is the fight expected to be uh, more hard-fought in the House than on the Senate side, or could this uh, kind of fall apart in both houses of Congress?
6: Um, I, I think the House makeup creates uh, because of so, how some people have really seen SNAP as as a way to to draw a line in the sand. I, I feel like the House probably has a, a bigger fight. But like I said, I do believe that that Thompson understands the balance that's needed to get a bill across the finish line. So we'll see how that trickles down from upper leadership with uh, Kevin McCarthy and, and whether he allows Thompson to get a bill that actually can get across the finish line or if he wants a bill that only has Republican support. Um, on the Senate, I think, um, you know, there will – the Senate just – creates an environment that requires more partnerships. Um, And so I think it would be less partisan is, is my thought going in on that with the nutrition title.
0: Okay. All right, Jackie, that certainly makes some sense. And now if we can, I'd like to zoom out away from Congress over to the executive agencies. We saw a lot of focus on the FDA here throughout the pandemic. Of course, that intensified with the infant formula crisis at the tail end of 2022. I understand there's now some pushback on how the FDA operates there in Washington, D.C. Can you fill us in?
6: Yeah, so I've been covering a lot of the FDA, and after the infant formula crisis, a light was really um, kind of shining very brightly on on how the organizational makeup and you know who reports to who kind of created this issue with with the infant formula crisis and, and exasperated a, a situation that maybe could have been caught earlier. Um, and so they actually called for an independent review of the agency. It's called the Reagan Udall, or they had a report out in December. And, um, you know, there was a lot of suggestions on on how to reorganize things, how to change things, how to really create a culture that that really does allow for an improved focus on the food part of the Food and Drug Administration. You know, we, we heard a lot about FDA with COVID testing and, and drug approvals, but you know, the first part of their, their agency is, it's devoted to food safety. And, and there was a lot of criticism in that report. So just last week, uh, Dr. Robert, uh, Caliph was uh, announced that that they will be setting up some changes, um, and one of those is creating a deputy commissioner for foods and establishing a human's foods program. But you know, I talked with a lot of stakeholders afterwards, and they're still very concerned about how those dotted lines are in an organizational chart and really what kind of authority that that gives somebody. If they see something that needs acted on, if they have the ability to do that, if it has to go through several layers before it gets to the commissioner, you know, it's kind of in the weeds, but overall, it's just whether FDA is is adequately focusing on the food safety part of its agency. And, you know, Dr. Califf does not, he has a medical background and does not have as much of a food background. And so there's some concerns with that too, but they are out looking for a deputy commissioner, you know, so we're going to see here at the end of February, some kind of follow-up on a little bit more on where they, they look to go with some of these reorganization changes and so even this afternoon, I've got a fireside chat that I'll be listening in on with Dr. Caleb. So i I know a lot of a lot of questions still remain on how he plans to move forward with some of these actions.
0: All right. We'll see what comes out here from the FDA. But Jackie, the FDA is not the only place talking food in Washington, D.C. I understand last week, it's probably been a week and a half ago now, USDA has tightened up some school lunch standards and they're they're cutting back on that sugar limit, aren't they?
6: Uh, yes. So last Friday afternoon, um, more nutrition standards coming out. Um, you know, if you remember back during the Obama administration, when Secretary Vilsack was there before, they tried to make several changes in the lunch menus about sugar levels, about uh, whether you could have flavored milk, which my kids love uh, flavored milk in their school lunch options. Um, and so there's some proposals to. The, to, to limit flavored milk, um, especially for older kids. Um, and then also, you know, the whole grain, uh, requirements for, for their pastas or meats. And then also, you know, where we've had a lot of discussion over the years about whole milk and whether you could have whole milk. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, things that were rolled back during the purdue administration also during covid you know school lunches have a lot of challenges of getting the foods there so a lot of discussion there they've proposed a rule that kind of staggers it out over several years here to make some changes
0: all right folks we'll keep an eye on this usda give the kids whole milk that's what they need growing up folks we've been talking here with jackie fatka associate editor at agripulse and jackie thanks for joining us today
6: thanks always great mike
0: Folks, stick with us. Arlen Suderman of StoneX will join the show when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville.
5: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the wheat markets are sharply higher here on Friday as we work through trade with quarter beans up moderately as well. Kansas City wheat is the upside leader as we see, even though there is a better outlook for precipitation in the dry southern plains, KC wheat has been very bullish as of late and has recaptured most of Thursday's plunge here so far today. Well, meantime, corn, beans, bean oil trading higher. Bean meal was up sharply Thursday, seeing a little profit taking there, it looks like. Also, uh, in quarter bean contracts, seeing a little bit of bull spreading as the old crop contracts seem to be leading us here to the upside. Now, Russia's decision to reduce crude oil production by 5% in retaliation for the cap put on Russian oil has dragged that market higher, along with energy-sensitive markets like corn and bean oil as well. Now, we see that uh, we still have the strongest corn basis level in 20 years, matching up against very poor export demand, and that's resulted in volatile back-and-forth trade. But overall, we are to the upside here today. Now, meantime, livestock trade Cattle a little bit mixed here. We're starting to see a little bit of activity in feedlot country. We saw some yesterday in the north at $4 higher. We are expecting higher cash cattle trade here today. Hog market is mixed. That front month February has got a couple days left before it expires. Staying close with the cash index while the rest of the deferreds are trading their way moderately lower here. Now, we're also watching fear levels uh, on Wall Street. The VIX rose to one-month highs overnight as stock futures extended Thursday's losses after Treasury yields rose to five-week highs. That's something to keep our eyes on as well. Overall, in the markets, wheat futures 20 to 27 cents higher with corn and beans 4 to 8 higher here as we work through trade. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
6: recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on
0: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in here to AOA. We appreciate being a part of your day and I'm excited. Our next guest is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And initially, we were going to talk about what happened on Wednesday with the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. But since then, we've seen Russia upset the global crude oil market. We've seen wheat go on a tear. So we're just going to see where this conversation takes us today. Arlen Suderman, thanks for joining us.
7: It's good to be back with you, Mike. These are certainly exciting times and frustrating times, I know, for both producers and end users.
0: They certainly are, Arlen. And I want to kick things off with the headlines from today. Russia comes out, says because of the price cap, they're going to cut back on crude oil production. Is the market taking them at their word?
7: Uh, well, I don't think the market really knows what to take a reward coming out of Russia. You, you have to p- pay more attention to what they do rather than they say, similar to China. Uh, Russia makes a lot of threats about things, trying to manipulate the markets, trying to manipulate uh, policy decisions, etc. But there is some legitimacy to it. It comes down to, with the price caps, if Russia's going to move the oil it needs to do, it has to use uh, basically the dark fleet. This is the fleet that's willing to work under under... under the cover of darkness of of the sensors and everything, and and get insurance directly via Russia or other entities in order to haul their cargoes and be willing to do that at a higher price. So the freight's going to be higher because they're taking on more risk than they do that. There is a significant dark fleet out there willing to do so, but is it large enough? And I think that's the question. And I would suggest that if Russia actually does reduce output by a half million barrels per day, that's an indication of a shortage of ships. Now, we'll have to see that confirmed, um, but it's something that we've been suspecting is a risk going forward. And if you simultaneously increase demand by 1 to 2 million barrels per day, and right now the projections are maybe as much as 2.2 million barrels per day in global demand increase, a big piece of that is being China coming back online. About a million barrels per day of that is just the increase in international flights as a result of China opening up post-COVID. So you have that increased production at a time when OPEC members are about a million barrels per day below their quotas. They can't get enough production out of their wells right now. Russia's coming down in production. U.S. shale oil expansion is very slow. Until now, we've increased output by simply completing wells that were started but not completed prior to covid we've done that now so it's time to invest in more expansion in the shale oil fields but with esg policies in place it generally has killed investment in further expansion so output is limited therefore opec says hey we could be looking at hundred dollar crude oil later this year and i think that's a realistic possibility that's not a forecast I'm making. That's a realistic possibility, and that has implications for the grain and oilseed markets as well. And then you throw in what Russia is doing on their offensive this month, and and the missile attacks today on Ukraine, and the fact that there's rumors out there that they may do their spring offensive on the one-year anniversary of February 24th. And this whole thing is escalating, and we've totally taken out the Russian war premium that we put in a year ago, and the markets are kind of waking up to that.
0: Arlen, we also took out that war premium, or at least a significant chunk of it here in the wheat market, and I'm seeing wheat rally like crazy today. Is this additional spillover from that Russian uh, advancement in Ukraine?
7: yeah I really think that it is that's the biggest thing I could say. and combined with some technical uh when we got the strength this morning, we broke out the market to the highest levels that we'd been trading since early January um, in some cases in some of these markets uh, and when we look at the Kansas City market, it really goes back to the late November. Uh, so we're making some big strides in these markets from a technical standpoint as well. So the momentum trading algos and the chart reading algos computers are jumping in and adding buy orders into there. But fundamentally, it comes back to, you are right, we had totally removed the war premium from this wheat market. We were trading prices below where they were trading before the war ever started. And all of a sudden, it's kind of a wake-up call because... Production and exports out of Ukraine are very limited. They accounted for one of the major portions of global wheat exports prior to the war. Russia's having trouble getting – it's it's exporting a lot of wheat. I don't want to say that it's not, but it's struggled to export all that it could – because of the sanctions and then you have the drought still going on in the southwestern plains Um, and and just some concerns once again coming back into this market that maybe we've taken too much risk premium out and, and we need to put some back in.
0: Certainly makes sense. The world is a risky place here in 2023. Arlen, while we're talking, I wanted to turn the focus down to South America here and their soybean crop in Brazil. We know harvest is underway. I know you talk with folks in that country quite a bit. What are you hearing so far? What's the progress like on the ground in Brazil?
7: Yeah, Mike, I just wanted to add one more thing on the wheat that I forgot to say, and that's a key factor, and that's that the funds had built massive short sold positions in Chicago wheat prior to this and the fear was if anything ever scared them out there's not a lot of natural sellers to offset them trying to buy their positions back and that could give us this type of breakout that being said going to South America now uh, the crop in Brazil our team does a survey once a month a producer survey and right now they're saying it's about 154 million metric ton crop in Brazil that's up 27 million metric tons from the previous year Put a little bit of perspective on it. In all of 2022, we shipped 30 million metric tons to our biggest customer, China. So that's a massive increase in production in Brazil. Now we look at Argentina. They were expected to have close to a 50 million metric ton crop this year. Uh, that crop keeps getting smaller and smaller because of drought problems. there. third year of a drought, and uh, production is really hurting. We've seen some production estimates, private production estimates in Argentina come out as low as 34.5 million metric tons. Uh, others are in the upper 30s, 38 million metric tons. USDA is closer to 41 million metric tons. So I think we have more downside to go. The question is, with all of the total of South America is still going to be up significantly from last year because that massive Brazil crop, how much of that crop can actually move south into Argentina to supply their crushing facilities? Argentina funds its government and its social programs with the taxes off of agricultural exports, especially the exports of soy meal and soy oil. They have every incentive to keep those crushing plants going. Will they be able to pull enough soybeans down the Paraná River out of Brazil on barges to the crushing facilities at Rosario at the base of the Paraná River? That's going to be the key question. If not, Global uh, consumers of soy meal are going to be looking elsewhere, probably first to Brazil for their crushing facilities. Next will be to the United States. And that's what the market's kind of caught its eyes on. If Brazil is able to get enough soybeans down to those crushing facilities, then there's not much left to really rally this soybean market around. If they can't get enough, then perhaps we have some justification for these prices. But that's what we're keeping our eyes on.
0: Arlen, given that there's that risk profile in the bean meal complex in particular, looking at the uh, the March meal today, we're up wow, kissing that $500 mark. It looks like we're kind of at a double top here. How should producers be managing that risk of, of Argentina not being able to crush the meal it needs for export?
7: First of all, I'd say much of that's been priced into the market. The second thing I'd say, this is the opposite of the Chicago wheat market that I commented on a little bit ago, where the funds had built massive short positions. We haven't had a CFTC report now for a couple of weeks. We don't have data for about three weeks because of the computer hacking of a a major data company that handles trade clearances. And so Bef- the latest data we had was that the funds had built you near know, record large long or bot positions in the soy meal, And ever since then, there's been mostly buying going on as well. So we'd anticipate they're still near that length of ownership. That leaves them vulnerable to quite a collapse in the market if they get scared out of it. So we've priced in most of the expectation that there's going to be a shortfall of soy meal. If something says, oh, it's not going to be as bad as we thought, and the funds decide to exit and the charts start to turn, we're vulnerable to a big collapse in the soy meal market. Will it happen? I don't know, but we're very vulnerable to it, and that's been a big piece of the strength of the soybean market. So this has me nervous up at these price levels right now, especially with that big Brazilian crop.
0: Right. And I'm glad you mentioned the lack of information on the commitment of traders traders data. Arlen, have we heard from the CFTC as to when they plan to get that data getting back out regularly?
7: We heard again today, no report today. Um, They're still trying to fix things after that uh, uh, ransomware attack and uh, no indication yet when we will have commitment of traders data again
0: all right arlen in the meantime that second crop brazilian corn do you does stonex have an idea or an expectation on acreage down there yet for that Safrina crop
7: well, we're generally expecting a pretty good increase. We hear from our Brazilian people that the profit margins are very high because of low currency exchange rates down there, uh, and they have every intention of expanding 4 to 5% in area, um, and that's kind of an annual expansion that we see. So they're looking for a big crop.
0: All right, folks, we'll continue to see what comes out of South America and we'll turn to Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX for his insight. Arlen, thanks for joining us today.
7: Thank you, Mike. Have a good weekend.
0: And folks, stay tuned. We're going to talk through some more of the stories that are moving the ag markets here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
4: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people
0: lose
1: their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at
4: birth. With macular degeneration, Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
1: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that.
4: Make a plan today to get your eyes checked.
7: Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
4: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes Purple Packaging at your grocery store and visit rfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Each season,
1: farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
0: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for The Monthly Grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association, had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe.
3: Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics came up was the the methane tax emission on cattle, and then The reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C.
0: This Monthly Grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind here on AOA. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? don't be if you think about it it makes perfect
4: sense radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere whether you're in the shop on the combine or in the truck farm radio is right there with you this message brought to you by the national association of farm broadcasting
0: this is mike pearson thanks for listening to agriculture of america join me monday through friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA.
0: Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. There are a lot of events happening today here in the world of agriculture. And since we just wrapped up our conversation with Arlen Suderman of Stonex there in segment three, talking about Brazil, we've got some Brazil news that I think warrants a discussion here. Could have some fairly... sizable impacts on the ag economy in Brazil longer term. And here's the scoop. Brazil's new president, Lula da Silva, is visiting the White House today. He's going to be talking with President Joe Biden. They're going to be going over a number of different issues, trying to rekindle a friendship. Of course, Lula was president in Brazil from uh, 2006 through 2012, coincided with Joe Biden's time as vice president under Obama. So they've worked together there. Now they're expected to try and rekindle that friendship. And importantly, one of the ways that friendship might be rekindled, and we'll know later on today, is whether or not the United States makes a contribution to the Amazon Fund. This is the uh, the fund that was set up by the country of Norway back in 2009, the idea being there are poor people in the Amazon, those poor people are trying to survive, so they're cutting down trees to run cattle, grow crops, and that's, that's hurting the environment. So Norway said, we're going to put a pile of money in here. We want you to give it to the poor folks in the Amazon so they can find a way to make a living without creating deforestation. Now, Norway's contributed. Germany just announced a new contribution to the Amazon fund. Great Britain, is looking at joining the fund and it was uh it's being discussed that that might be one of the things the United States does on this mission trip from uh from Lula da Silva up in DC today. Now, the White House has said they had no announcement to make at this time. They confirmed that this morning, but we would expect this would be announced at a press conference likely without a whole lot of heads up from the uh, the powers that be in DC. I think this is relevant to agriculture because one of the long stories we've talked about many times on this program is the potential 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 for Brazilian crop acres to continue to expand. And when acres grow in Brazil, the vast majority of them happen along the Cerrado. We've talked about it on the show. That's the, the pastury scrubland that covers about 400 million acres across Brazil. But there is also agriculture taking place in the Amazon. And this is something they are looking to try to crack down on. This Amazon fund might do such a thing to help reduce some of the expansion of ag, at least in the Amazon, maybe slow down some of that acreage expansion we're seeing take place across Brazil. Keep an eye on the news. Watch for whether or not the United States makes a contribution to the uh, the Amazon fund, which we will hear about a little bit later on today. Bringing the focus back to the United States, of course, we've got a lot of issues here percolating in the meat space. First and foremost, we have a cultivated meat company. This is a company growing meat, and I'm using air quotes here, in a cell from plant cells, or excuse me, in a Petri dish rather from plant cells. This is the cultivated meat, not the plant-based meat. So this cultivated meat company, and uh, the name of it is Stakeholder Foods, S-T-E-A-K, Holder Foods, they said that they have conducted a study looking at the amino acid profile of their cultivated burger, and they find that it has, quote, a similar profile to the nutritional value of a patty from a, a beef animal, from a cow, from a cow from a steer. And, um, they're using this to try and argue that cultivated meat is coming along, not just on an environmental standpoint, but also on a nutrition standpoint, trying to level the playing field with beef. Now, this company, Stakeholder Foods, is based in Israel. Their products are not available for sale in this country as of yet. The company was started in 2019, but they are still trying to push this out. I do anticipate we'll see more of these cultivated meat products coming on the market here over the next couple of years here in the United States. And they're going to be coming into a legal scenario that is a little bit more different than we've seen in the past. There is, a lot of fighting in the court system right now over who can use what names when it comes to describing their food. Can a plant-based food company call itself or call its product a burger? Can they call it meat, even if they call it non-meat? These are questions that are floating around and courts are making decisions in, in different states and in different jurisdictions all the time. Notably, the state of Louisiana published a law here a few years ago saying that uh, the makers of of products that don't contain meat can't use words that have traditionally related to meat so roast and you know uh, meat to turkey and all of this and they've been sued the state of louisiana has been sued by the maker of tofurkey alleging that this law restricts their First Amendment rights. And the state of Louisiana turned around and said, nope, Toferky Maker, you can't sue under this law because you don't have standing since you're not a meat product. This is irrelevant to you. And now this is going to go back to the U.S., uh, excuse me, the Louisiana Sur- Supreme Court first is going to go before the U.S. Circuit Court judges. Can these companies use these names in their marketing? Can they call themselves a meat substitute? we're going to see this shake out. It is going to take a little while. Of course, the court system is not quick, but these things are moving ahead. We did have another piece of news here. Looking out at Washington, D.C., we talked in the 117th Congress with a lot of our friends in the protein industry about several of the bills that had been floated in that last Congress. One of the ones we spent a lot of time on this program discussing was Senator Charles Grassley's uh, Cattle market uh, transparency bill that has been reintroduced into this new Congress. The same suite of sponsors. Of course, we've got Senator Grassley, we've got John Tester uh, from Nebraska, we have several other farm state uh, senators who have gotten involved to get that bill reintroduced. We also saw the reintroduction of the special investigator legislation. This popped up in that last Congress. This would be a a bill that would create a new office under the USDA. This would be called the Office of the Special Investigator for Competition Matters. They would give this office uh, a team of investigators. They'd let them have subpoena power. And basically, if you were a producer and you had a complaint about anti-competitive practices in the packing space or anywhere in agriculture, it wouldn't just be in meat packing, you could call this Office of the Special Investigator. They'd turn their team loose and would review how these large players are treating the the farmers that they work with. Senator Chester said, quote, as the Senate's only working farmer, I'll take on anyone to make sure that Montana's family farmers and ranchers get a fair chance to compete in the marketplace. We'll see what kind of legs this bill has as those conversations kick off in Washington, D.C. And folks, tune in next time to more policy and market coverage right here on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Pride. It runs deep for those in
1: agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at
0: farmrescue.org. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville.